And what do you have in the book of Acts? You have the work, the acts, the actions of the disciples, the apostles who were busy doing the work of God. And guess what? When we get busy doing the work of the Lord, God comes through. He shows up and, and, and He does a great work. And so we're going to see tonight that all is going well. The, uh, the, the, uh, the church is working well. They're in unity. They're giving. That's where we left it off last week. But now all of a sudden, Satan's going to try a different approach to try to derail the church. Acts chapter 5. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll look at the first five verses, and we'll be looking at the first 11 verses, but for our reading, initial reading, we'll be looking at the first five verses. The Bible says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. That means he died. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. Uh, let's look at this sermon title tonight, When the Church is Attacked from Within. When the Church is Attacked from Within. Let's pray. Lord, may you work in our hearts tonight, and if Satan is at work in someone here tonight, may we expel that and not allow that to... Um, take over. Lord, uh, Judas was used by Satan to betray you. And Ananias and Sapphira are going to be used by Satan to try to sow discord in the church. Lord, Korah was used by Satan to try to overthrow Moses' authority and, and uh, mess a good thing up there. Lord, may we not let that happen to any one of us. And Lord, for those of us here tonight that don't have Satan at work in our heart in the background, or may we double down tonight and just determine that will never happen. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Back in Joshua chapter number 7, we find the sad, sad story of Achan and his family. Achan's selfishness and sin caused God to remove his hand of protection from the Israelites. Why? What had Achan done? Well, the Israelites had wandered, wandered for 40 years in the desert because they didn't have faith in the God who parted the Red Sea to also help them conquer the Promised Land. And God said, okay, if you say we be not able, you're right. You aren't able. Wander around and die. We'll let your children trust in me and we'll let them conquer. And so after uh, Moses died and that generation died, Joshua rose to power and they marched across the Jordan River and uh, right up to the walls of Jericho. They marched around the walls of Jericho and they, um, they saw the walls fall. Now, the instructions going in were, do not touch anything inside the city because this is the first fruits of the land and you're not to take any of it. This is the Lord's. Don't touch any of the spoils, any of the riches 
any of the treasures, don't touch them. Instructions, very clear instructions were given. When the walls fell and the soldiers were going through and conquering the city, Achan, one of the soldiers, happened into one of the houses and he saw some gold uh, laying there and he looked left and he looked right and he took it and he stuck it in his sack and then he saw some silver and he put that in his sack and he saw some uh, goodly uh, Babylonian garments. He saw some expensive clothes and he shoved those in his bag and out of that house he ran and they finished conquering the city and he went home to his tent. He dug a hole in the ground with his family watching and he hid those items, that bag in the ground and covered it so no one would know what he had taken. And I'm sure he thought, we'll, let, uh, we'll, we'll conquer the land and then one day, after everyone has long forgotten about Jericho, I'll pull these things out and I'll use it. The problem is that when he looked left and looked right and looked forwards and looked backwards, he did not look up. And God saw what he had done. And what did God do? God said, okay, if you're not going to obey me, then corporately I'm going to remove my hand of blessing, my hand of protection, and now you go fight these battles without me. So the very next, tactically, the very next city for them to conquer was the city of Ai. Ai. And they sent a smaller elite group of soldiers to conquer Ai. And Ai was much smaller than Jericho. And when they arrived at Ai, they began to engage in battle and Ai the men of Ai would just wipe the floor with them. It wouldn't even be close. And 36 Israeli men would be killed. Would be killed. And they came back uh, with their tail between their legs. They came back defeated. And Joshua throws himself prostrate on the ground and says to God, Did you bring us here for us to die? What is going on? And God tells Joshua, Joshua, get off of your face. There is sin in the camp. There is sin in the camp. Achan's selfishness and sin caused God to remove his hand of protection. And sure enough, Achan's sin would be exposed and Achan and his family would be killed as a result. Let me be clear, why do God, this church cannot fulfill its purpose without God's hand of endorsement and His hand of blessing at work here in this place? What limits God's working through our church? A lack of unity cuts off God's blessings and causes the church to roll to a stop in its efforts. This is why God hates discord among the brethren. I I want you to understand your pastor's mindset toward church growth. And when I say growth, I'm not just talking about numbers. I'm talking about the growth of each one of us here. Spiritual growth. Yes, numerical growth. I want the people out there in here because I believe the message we have can help them. But this isn't about building an empire or a kingdom or a mega church. In fact, it very well may be in the era of the church age that we're in that we may never see a great big uh, true blue gospel preaching megachurch again. I don't know. Maybe we will. But I'm resigned to the fact that may not happen. But you know what I, I want? I want the people out there in here because I know that what we preach can help them. I know that when we lift up Christ, their lives can be touched 
and they can be helped from addiction and bondage problems. Pastor Lejeune eats, sleeps, drinks, church growth. And when I see people within the church that aren't getting along, you know how I view that? I view that as though someone's thrown a rope around the church and is holding it back. And I find myself with my scissors, my spiritual scissors, trying to cut ropes to keep the church moving forward. we got a rub here, and we have a, a rub here, and two people not getting along over here. And then I look and see that we've got this person doing this over here, and this person doing this over here. And the truth is, they need to swap spots, because if this person was doing their job, and that person was doing their job, then guess what? Uh, the church would move forward in a way that's better. But when you move people around, sometimes you end up with friction, and sometimes you end up with problems, and... And then Pastor Lejeune finds himself trying to keep everyone happy. And you know what? That's difficult to do sometimes. You know what we need as a church? We need a church full of mature people who say the work of the Lord is more important than any one person. If God were to move in my heart and say to me, hey, um, I want you to step down and I want someone else to pastor the church, you know what my duty at that point would be? To step down and let someone else pastor the church. If there's someone else who can lead the church in a way that's better, that's God's selection, who am I to stand in the way? You see, unity is a big deal. And when we allow discord to get into the church, the church just struggles and comes to a halt. Can you turn over to Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16? Proverbs chapter 6. Turn over there with me if you would. We're going to get to the story in Acts 5 here in a minute, but I want to make sure I very carefully, methodically lay, uh, lay down the um, uh, narrative for the sermon this, this evening. Help us understand. Look at verse 16. The Bible says, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Boy, these six slash seven things we need to eliminate from our lives and from our church. A proud look. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Now that one Ananias and Sapphira would be guilty of. We'll look at that more in a few minutes. Feet that be swift in running to mischief. Hey, listen, if someone at this church gets sideways with me or a church leader, and you're quick to run to their side and cheerlead them, ah! Yes, there's a problem in the church. All right. Yeah, you go. I'm now your best friend because misery loves company. You are guilty of sweet uh, of feet that are swift and running to mischief. God hates that. A false witness that speaketh lies. Look at this last one. And he that soweth discord among the brethren. Satan and his army of demons are doing all they can to limit the church's scope of influence, and ultimately, what does Satan want to do? He wants to destroy this church. Satan's most effective strategy here in America is not outward opposition. When, when Satan brings outward opposition to an American church, what happens is we usually unify. We, we come together. You know, if uh, this church were to be maligned by the press, 
in a way that was just totally unfair, and we were to land in the national news and uh, we were to be mistreated, you know what I think would happen is everyone at White Oak Baptist Church would lock arms and say, leave us alone. Right? And Satan knows that. He knows when outward opposition comes, it brings unity. So what does he usually do? Instead of using outward opposition, Satan works through disgruntled or carnal church members. If we are focused inward, and I'm speaking we as a church family, if as a church family we're focused inward, then that means that we're not focused outward. When we fight with each other, then we're not fighting the forces of darkness. When our attention is on what the person on the other side of the church is doing, then that means that your attention won't be on the souls that are on the other side of the street that need Jesus. Satan had already tried here in Acts, Acts 4, um, Acts, Acts 4, he tried to attack the church from without. And so far, that had not worked. Tactically, now he's going to try to work from within. Satan's bag of tricks has not changed all these years later. He still destroys churches the same way. Um, let's not let Satan get our church. All right, let's jump into the outline tonight. Let's look at five observations from this story. And then I'd like to share with you three concluding thoughts as we consider this sermon topic when the church is attacked from within. Okay, quickly here. Number one, notice the conspiracy. The conspiracy. Now, uh, we have all been trained that when we hear the conspiracy, the very next word is theory. All right? Uh, just because uh, there is a conspiracy, it does not make it a theory. A conspiracy is just two people or more who get together and plot, right, to, uh, to, to get a gain in a way they probably shouldn't. Um, look at verse number 1 and 2, and we see the conspiracy here between this husband and wife. The Bible says, But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession, and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, this may seem innocent enough on its head, but let me uh, try to help you see what's going on here. The church was moving forward with great momentum. The people were unified in God's great grace. We looked at it last week, great power, great grace. God's great grace had radically moved the hearts of God's people to give so that the needs of others could be met. A man by the name of Joseph um, uh, one-upped everybody and sold a piece of land and gave the entire amount of that property sell to help the needs within the church. As a result, uh, Joseph received a whole lot of praise and even had his name changed by the church leaders to Barnabas. Now, boy, that's a big deal. Imagine if someone did something so noteworthy in this church that we changed their name and legally they went down to the courthouse and had their name changed. Joseph had his name changed to Barnabas, and the name Barnabas means son of consolation or son of encouragement. They said, Barnabas, based on your actions and this great act of giving all of this money, this is such a big deal. We're changing your name from Joseph to Barnabas. And Ananias and his wife Sapphira decided that likewise they would sell a piece of property and give the money to the church with one caveat. 
they would keep back some of the money for themselves, but, but, they would tell everybody that they had donated the entire amount. You see what they're doing here? They want to have their cake and eat it too. Brother John's translating for his wife down here. Brother John, are you able to translate that idiom? Probably not. Amen? Uh, maybe you can't. Uh, have, uh, when you guys see them over here, they're not talking in church. I just want to make this clear. Some people think, man, that's so rude. They're talking in church the whole time. Brother John's translating the sermon for his wife. Okay? So it's all good. And uh, we're good with that. So that's number one. That's the conspiracy. Number two, notice the confrontation. The confrontation. Things are about to get real up in the church of Jerusalem because he's going to bring the money in. And in his mind, he's got it all planned out. He's going to come in with this money and he's going to lay it down. And Peter, the apostle, is going to pat him on the back and say, You too, Ananias? You too, Sapphira? You guys are great. He's expecting adulation and praise to be heaped upon him. And boy, things did not quite go the way that he had planned. Look at verse 3. But Peter said. Notice those first three words. But Peter said. Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Now, Peter was the clear leader of the early church. He was the pastor apostle. It's impossible to know how Peter knew, had knowledge, um, that they had done this, Right? I'm sure Ananias' jaw just probably hit the floor when Peter said this to him. He probably thought, how does he know? Did, did my wife give me up? And she didn't give him up. And I've always wondered how Peter knew. How did Peter know that they had kept back part of the money? And so there's really only a handful of options. Um, it's possible that God told him. In fact, I would say it's probable that God had told him. But maybe someone else... Uh, happened to be walking uh, through, uh, walking by the the purchase of property at the time, and 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 just happened to, to to hear and know and reported it back to Peter. And when Peter saw the discrepancy about, uh, he, he called him out on it. We don't really know how he knew, but he knew. And Peter immediately, immediately confronted him. Uh, on it. Now, this raises an interesting question. If the, if the pastor confronts your sin, how should you respond? Now, uh, there's corporate confrontation, right? Where the pastor will preach the Bible and, you know, sort of that shotgun spray where I rear back and boom, I take a shot in the dark. And it just sprays across the auditorium. And sometimes it hits you, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I step hard and I miss your toes. Other times I get your toes. Well, what if I were to, uh, me or one of the deacons or another church seasoned leader, maybe it's a lady in the church who's an older lady, uh, like, a, like a Joan Syrette. Let's say a Joan Syrette pulled one of you ladies to the side and said, I've been a Christian for all of these years. And Joan Syrette is just a saintly godly woman. And what if she were to pull you to the side, ladies, and say, I see this in you, and it's not right. She was gracious about it, but she called you out on it. What if the pastor pulled you into his office and said, like Peter did here, hey, I'm seeing this in your life, and it's not right. How would you respond? Proverbs chapter 27, verses 5 and 6 say, open rebuke is better than secret love. 
Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Let me just say here, if you were to perceive that something I was doing was wrong, or even something I was doing was self-limiting, I sure would want you to come to me and tell me. Well, you're the pastor. I, I can't approach you. I can't tell you that. I think that uh, the, the Catholic Church has contributed a lot to this. And I will even go a step further and say, I think the independent Baptist culture has contributed to this. Um, we have got to quit putting pastors way up on a pedestal where we think somehow they're unapproachable. You know, the truth is, I am a red-blooded man like every other male in the room. And I'm a human being like everyone else. And I, I'm your brother in Christ. You know, in, in a lot of Catholic churches, you can't talk to the priest. And I see that kind of fall into the church here, where we, uh, we feel like maybe we can't go to Pastor Lejeune if something bothers us that happens at the church. Now, I don't want you coming and tattling and being ticky-tack over every little thing, but if there's something that's really bothering you, whether it's about me or something that goes on here at the church, well, you need to come talk to me. You need to bring it to one of our deacons and it needs to be addressed. But what about when the pastor comes to you? God's called me to be the shepherd of the sheep, here at, uh, the under-shepherd of the sheep here at the church. And God has given me spiritual discernment and wisdom and care for each of you. How do you handle it when the pastor pulls you in and says, I see this in your life and it isn't right? A wise man or woman embraces rebuke and correction. A foolish man or woman bristles and pushes away and is offended by correction. When I was in Bible college, I worked in a, um, a ministry uh, called the Chapel Ministry. We had rented a bunch of church or a bunch of buildings in inner city Chicago. And we would go into inner city Chicago and to um, predominantly African American black neighborhoods and uh, we would bring them and put them in a building and uh, 2.30 on Sunday afternoons we would have church. And our ministry leader uh, was an older man on the church staff. His name was Ted Spear. Some of you remember Charles Osgood, missionary to Ghana, Africa that was here sometime back. Uh, Charles Osgood's working with Brother Spear over in Africa. They've got a huge ministry over there, a huge work. Well, Brother Spear is, man, he's one of these guys, he just tells you like it is. Right? He'll call you out on the carpet right there. And you have to understand, when you're running a ministry and you're dealing with a bunch of 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 year old boys and girls who are filled with zeal and lack knowledge, you need someone who knows how to knock heads. And I remember, man, Brother Spear would get us together in a meeting and uh, he'd call us out over things we were doing wrong. Sometimes he'd call you out in front of everyone else. Sometimes he'd pull you to the side and I mean, he would, he would lay you out. And I remember after working in Brother Spears' ministry for two years, not one time had he pulled me to the side and corrected me. Now, he had corrected just about everyone else, but he had never corrected me. And I remember I went to him, and, and I was broken over this. And I said, Brother Spear, do you, do you sense that I'm not approachable and that you cannot correct me? Is there a reason why you have not corrected me? And he sidestepped my question. He didn't answer my question. I wanted to be corrected. 
And Christian, if you're going to grow in the Lord, you have to want correction. You have to want people to be willing to come to you and say, I'm noticing this, that, or the other, and we have to take down the defense mechanism and say, Lord, teach me. Lord, use the spiritual leaders in my life to help me to grow. Peter confronted Ananias. We'd see again later in the chapter, he would confront Sapphira. He confronted both a man and a woman over their wrongdoings. We see the conspiracy, the confrontation. Notice number three, the corruption. The corruption. Well, let's really dive into the, um, the conspiracy here. And let's see why it was what they were doing was wrong. And categorically, I think we can see some of the things that maybe uh, can surface in our own life. Look back at verse number one. Uh, rather, look at verse number 3, and let's read down to verse number 4. The Bible says, But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost, and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in, uh, not, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Hast thou, thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. We saw in Acts 4, uh, uh, Acts chapter 4, Satan's resistance against the church. This attack came from without the church. Satan is never content to attack from just one point. Satan's most effective attack against the church usually happens from within. And he played on Ananias and Sapphira's carnal hearts to try uh, to tear apart the great work that God was doing there in Jerusalem. Let me give you three uh, ways here that Ananias and Sapphira got tripped up. Letter A notice, love of fame. Love of fame. Satan hates the church. He's going to try and attack uh, this church right here in every way he can. It's to be expected. Let's not let Satan trip us up. Look at Acts chapter number 4 and look at verse number 36. Acts 4 verse 36. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, they saw the fame that uh, Joseph, Barnabas, had gotten, and they decided to go through with this ploy, this plot, because they wanted fame just like that. They wanted their name to be bragged on. They wanted their name called. And uh, listen, uh, we talked about rejection this morning in the service, how it's no fun to be rejected. And sometimes I believe as Christians, we can be hypersensitive and we can get our feelings hurt uh, when things don't go quite our way. What had happened here was that Ananias and Sapphira were not receiving the attention from the leadership of the church that they thought they deserved. And so they took measures into their own hands to do something that was sinful in order to gain that attention. They really didn't care about the poor, or they would have given the whole amount, or they would have given the amount they gave and explained what they had done. But instead, they gave a, little, they gave a portion and claimed it was the whole thing because they were greedy and wanted to hold on to their money, and they wanted fame as well. well what's the application here? How, does the, how do these problems surface within a church? We want our name called. We want to be recognized. We want to be known as the person that does this, that, or the other around the church. 
We, we cling to status. And let's just, let me just remind you what Jesus told James and John, the sons of thunder, when uh, they were trying to elbow their way above the rest of the disciples. Jesus looked at them and said, The greatest among you shall be the servant of all. I'm just going to share with you, open up my heart and share with you how Pastor Lejeune looks for leadership at White Oak Baptist Church. I'm looking for servants. I'm looking for servants. Obviously, if you're going to be a deacon here, you have to meet the qualifications laid out in 1 Timothy. But beyond that, how do you become a deacon? Well, I believe God wants the deacon board to be filled with servants. People who look to serve with no recognition. You want to teach a life group here at White Oak Baptist Church, we're looking for servants. Servants who say, yes, sir, yes, Lord, I'll do what you want, and I'm not your Lord, he's your Lord. I come to you and say, would you do this around the church? You say, well, let me pray about it. I say, go ahead. You pray about it and come back and say, I believe the Lord wants me to do that. Then hop in and do it and never expect a pat on the back in the process. Now, I love giving people pats on the back, and I love saying thank you to people who help. But we should never do it for the praise of men. Letter A, we see that Ananias and Sapphira's problem was they had a love of fame. Letter B, we see here they were led by Satan. They were led by Satan. Look at Acts chapter 5 and look at verse number 3. Man, Peter hit the nail right on the head. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land. Do you remember back in Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Peter was a disciple of Christ. In fact, just a few verses earlier in the same chapter, Jesus told Peter, he said, Flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee. Well, had revealed what? That Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so Peter got, got high praise by Jesus, and then just a handful of verses later, he got called Satan in the same passage. I, I think that sometimes we have a hard time realizing this. No matter who you are at this church, and this goes for me too, no matter who you are at this church, no matter how much you read your Bible and pray, no matter how godly you are, no matter how far up the spiritual ladder you've climbed, uh, in a moment of weakness, Satan can use you to divide this church. It may just be one word you say to someone that's meant to be tongue-in-cheek. It may just be one action that you take and you just shrug your shoulders and you're not filled uh, with the Spirit of God. Ananias and Sapphira, they got greed in their eyes. They got money signs in their eyes. They thought they could uh, scheme and come up with a way to get their fame and get their money. And they went for it and and, and, and Peter said, Satan has filled thine heart to do this thing. My friend, let's not let Satan use us to hurt White Oak Baptist Church and the cause of Christ. Letter C, we see they lied to God. They lied to God. Look at Acts chapter 5, verse 4. Peter looks at Ananias and says, Whilst it remained, the money, when the money remained in your possession, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it the money not 
in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Ananias, thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. It's not me you're lying to. It's God. It's God. We understand there is a, an authority scale, right? God is ultimately in charge. And everyone else that holds position and rank and power receives their authority on lease from God. And when someone who is an authority figure in your life, when you disobey them, you're not just disobeying them, you're disobeying God. And when he lied to Peter about the amount of money he was giving, he wasn't really lying to Peter. He was lying directly to God. And God wasn't going to have it. Look down at Acts chapter 5, verse 9. Here we see Sapphira coming in a little later, and Peter's confronting her. And Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? To tempt the Spirit of the Lord. Another way of saying they have lied to God. We see, number one, the conspiracy. Number two, the confrontation. Number three, the corruption. Number four, we see the condemnation. God was not going to handle this um, lying down. He wasn't just going to look the other way. Look at verse 5. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these sayings. And the young men arose, this would have been like the ushers in the church, wound him up and carried him out and buried him. And it was the space, about the space of three hours, after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whither, whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. Can you imagine that? I don't know if this was a church service or if this was just a, a regular day at church, a regular office uh, type thing. The church was huge at this point, so there's probably a lot of people around. Ananias comes in, got a big smile on his face, got his chest tucked out a little bit, reaches in his back pocket, fills out, pulls out a Velcro wallet. How do you know it was a Velcro wallet? It's in the Greek, amen? And uh, pulled that thing open, right? And uh, reaches in his wallet in the most demonstrative way possible and pulls out, pulls out a gigantic wad of cash that was doubled over and licks his finger and starts unfolding that thing to the center. A hundred, two hundred, three hundred, four hundred, five hundred, six hundred, seven hundred, eight hundred, nine hundred, a thousand. 2,000, gets to that amount and says, Peter, we sold some property and we are donating this to the Benevolence Fund. This is the entire amount of the property. And Peter looks at him and says, you're lying. 
And he says, God's going to kill you for lying to him. And instantaneously, he grabs his heart and slumps on the floor dead. I'm sure everyone standing there was probably like, What just happened? And so some ushers come around and they wrap him up like a mummy and they carry his limp dead body out and they bury him. Now, we know Facebook did not exist back then or there would have been someone live streaming the entire event and Mrs. Ananias or Sapphira would not have lied. And we know there was not texting back then or someone would have texted her and just said, hey, uh, Peter just confronted your husband and he's dead. Mrs. Sapphira did not know what happened. And so she comes walking in the building with a big smile on her face. I'm Mrs. Wright. I'm Mrs. Great. And Peter looks at her, and you could say he asked her a question that set her up. But I think he was just seeing if she was involved in this conspiracy. He looked at her and he said, Tell me, did you sell the land for, and names the amount that Ananias laid down? Is that what you sold the land for? And she says, Yay, that, yes, that's how much we sold it for. And Peter looks at her and says, You both are in on this, and your husband died, and now you're going to die. And she falls down dead on the spot. And the same men that buried the husband came and wrapped her up and buried her next to the husband. And I wonder what was written on their tombstone out back of the church building. I wonder what it said. God wasn't messing around with this sin. Let me give you point five. Notice the criterion. That word criterion starts in the letter C. That's why I use it. Amen? That word means precedent. Okay? Maybe you write down precedent next to criterion. Look at Acts chapter 5, verse 11. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Why did God resort to such extreme measures? Doesn't this feel quite drastic? It sure seems that way. I'm 37 years old. I've been in church for 37 years. I've known a lot of different people in a lot of different churches. I have never heard of God striking someone down dead in church. Other than this story, I have never heard of something this sensational happening. Happen. But can I tell you what I think has happened and I think does happen? I think people sow discord in church. I think people create problems in church. And I think God privately may send cancer their way. Or maybe even death their way. No, not always. I'm not trying to stand up here and threaten anyone because I'm not God and it wouldn't be me that would send the sickness or the death. I don't have a list of hitmen, amen, that I call when you create problems. That's not my style. All right? And part of the reason why I don't even have to begin to even think that way is because God is the one that seeks vengeance on those that hurt His church. Everybody listen to me right here. 
I want you to hear this. If you do something that limits White Oak Baptist Church, it's not me that you're hurting. It's God that you're hurting. This is not my church. White Oak Baptist Church was around before I got here, and it will be around when I leave. It's His church. You better be careful what you do. I did not shed my blood to purchase the church. But Jesus did. Jesus did. And you go messing with the unity of the church and the growth of the church. You go creating problems in the church the way Ananias and Sapphira did. It's the Lord and His wrath that you have to look out for. Not mine. And I just want to remind you that in Numbers chapter 26 verse 10... Korah withstood God and his man, and the ground opened and swallowed him whole. Don't mess with God and his church. There was a time where I sat on a church pew, and I was as disgruntled as I could be. I did not respect the pastor, did not respect him, not one bit. had a tough time in that environment. I did not carry church tracts around during that time because I did not want anyone visiting the church I attended. Because I thought if they came, they'd probably get hurt or poisoned. And you know, the day came where I was asked to leave that church. But if I'm being honest with you tonight, I probably should have just left on my own. Because if I can't get enthusiastically behind the church and its leader, then I should attend a church where I can get enthusiastically behind the church and its leader. Now, I want to be clear that um, there is grace and space for anyone to work through any problem. You take as long as you need. But I would just also say that if you are a part of this church or you're listening online from a distance you're a part of this church, you need to be able to get in behind the pastor and the deacons and you need to be enthusiastic about the program. And if not, then you need to attend a church where you can. And my office door stands wide open and my phone is on. And I am ready to sit and work through any struggles and differences that you have. But let's not have a church of people who are sour. Because that limits what God can do. And that angers God. It angers God. Now I want to leave you with three concluding thoughts tonight. Alright, I'll go through these quickly here. Number one, notice our motives matter. Our motives matter. Because of the discreet giving system that we have at our church... I don't see anyone falling into the same trap that Ananias and Sapphira fell into. Unless you walk around and tell people what you give here, no one knows, including me. We have a great system of anonymity set up here where our treasurer knows, loosely knows who gives what, but no one else other than you and the treasurer knows. I don't see anyone falling into the same trap that Ananias and Sapphira fell into. But can I tell you, 
the trap that I can see folks here falling into. We do work in an area of service for the praise of men and not the glory of God. You ever get up on this platform and sing a special? We're going to be starting a choir up here soon. You get up here with our choir and you sing, and it's all about you. you your motive is wrong. You, you watch the nursery with the expectation of the pastor or the nursery director patting you on the back and telling you how great of a, a job you're doing. Your motive is wrong. You want to usher just so the pastor will call on you and you can pray before the church? Your motive is wrong. You want to work on the bus route and, 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 uh, and so the pastor will get up and tell stories about your work with the bus ministry and how great of a Christian you are? Your motive is wrong. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 says, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Not unto men. One day, your works will be passed through a fire in heaven. And the good works you do for God that are done with the wrong motives will be turned into a pile of ash. It's not just doing right. It's doing right for the Lord. Doing right with the right motive. Number two. Number two. God wants all the glory. God wants all the glory. Some people make terrible leaders because they don't know how to handle success. Peter in Acts 2 was criticized by the crowd. And then in Acts 3, he was complimented by the crowd. In both cases, you know what he did? He deflected. He pointed to Christ and took the attention off of himself. What did Satan, what was Satan thrown out of heaven for? Remember? He said, I will, I will elevate my throne above the stars. I will be like the Most High. You know what he wanted? He wanted to rob glory from God. You make sure that you, the fuel that keeps you going in your work for the Lord is not the praise of men. You make sure the fuel that keeps you going is the love that God has toward you. Paul said, the love of Christ constraineth me. I do what I do because God loves me so deeply. Someone walks up to you after you teach a class and says, great job. You can accept their compliment without being pious. Well, brother, God gets all the glory. You can say thank you, but in your heart you better say, Lord, thank you for using me. God's given you a great voice and you stand up and sing in church. Someone comes up and says, wow, that was powerful. Great song. It's fine to smile and say, thank you, I enjoyed singing it. But in your heart of heart, you better say, Lord, thank you for giving me my voice to praise your name today. It's all about you. Amen? Number three, lastly, notice, a focused church is a fearing church. It sounds like something we've heard on Sunday mornings. Look at Acts chapter 5 and verse 11 one more time. 
and great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. White Oak Baptist Church, I sure don't want God to have to injure or injure or kill one of us in order to get the rest of our attention. We need to take our eyes off of ourselves. We need to take our, our critical eyes off of each other. And what we need to do is corporately place our eyes on God and fear Him. If we will focus on the attributes of God, we will fear Him and then, by default, we will turn around and serve Him. Satan wants to get a foothold in our church. He'll turn that foothold into a stronghold. Make no mistake about it, he will destroy this local church if allowed. That is his goal. My challenge to each one of you tonight is don't be the one that Satan uses to take down the light, to blow out the candlestick, to take down the light, the gospel light, that this lost and dying community so desperately needs. Let's all commit tonight that we're not going to be an Ananias or a Sapphira. Lord, tonight would you help us to double down in our commitment. Lord, help us to get in behind the program of this church and buy in wholeheartedly. Lord, there's not a single person here that's perfect. Not a church member, not a church worker, not a church leader. We are all flawed. We're all sinners, and those sinners occasionally offend one another. Sometimes, Lord, when a decision is made, our pride is what it causes us to be offended. Lord, help us to be humble. Help us to learn to extend grace and forgiveness. Lord, Help us not to be the one that Satan uses to hurt the work. The great work that you're doing through our church. Lord, move in our midst tonight. Help us. Help us to be yielded to you and to give you the glory in every way. In Jesus' name. Whether his bowed and eyes closed, is there someone here tonight that would say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to make sure that I am spiritually strong and I'm not vulnerable where Satan could use me to hurt the work of the church. If that's your prayer tonight, would you just hold up your hand? Pray for me. I don't want to be the one that Satan uses to hurt this church. Would you pray for me, Pastor? I want to stand strong for the Lord. Is there someone here tonight that would say, Pastor Lejeune, there was something in the message tonight that God used. And pray that I'll have a humble heart, a submissive heart, a yielding heart, and I'll make the changes that God has revealed to me that I need to make. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? Pastor, pray for me. There's changes in my life I need to make. Pray that I'll make them. 